0: Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is a podcast about graphic design and creative writing. On today's episode, I am joined by the writer, editor, and publisher, Perrin Drum. Perrin is the founder of AIGA's Ion Design and was its director until last month when she left the site to take on a new role as the head of publishing at A24. This conversation was actually recorded at the beginning of the year when she was still at Ion Design. So uh, we don't talk about her leaving and, and her new work, so I kind of uh, see this episode a little bit as a, a exit interview of sorts, we could say. We begin the conversation talking about her early love of reading and writing, uh, majoring in creative writing and studio art, and the origins of Ion Design, as well as the role of design criticism, how to tell larger stories than simply the kind of traditional designer profile or logo review, and how she thinks about the editorial framework for the site. In this conversation, I admit to Perrin my sort of initial skepticism of Ion Design. It's aesthetic, it's kind of Instagram feed, and Uh, the vibe that it kind of initially presented itself as felt like it wasn't my style or what I was interested in reading. But as I tell Perrin in this conversation, I think they've somewhat subtly produced some really thoughtful, really serious, really deeply researched pieces of design writing, whether that's essays on design history or decolonizing design or spotlights on underrepresented areas of the design industry. And it's fascinating to hear how she thinks about this and how my kind of initial perceptions of the site were proven wrong. And just for full disclosure, I have written for ION Design and Perrin has edited me, but I would say all of this even just as a reader. And I just had so much fun talking to her for this episode. If you're a fan of the podcast and want to help support it, you can become a member for $5 a month or $50 a year. Members get an exclusive monthly newsletter that features behind the scenes content, links and articles from former guests about design and writing and criticism, as well as previews of upcoming episodes. Scratching the Surface is fully supported through these memberships. So if you like the show, if you want to see it continue, if you want to help with its ongoing production, I hope that you would consider joining. Thank you as as always, for listening, and enjoy this conversation with Perrin Drum. I saw that in undergrad you studied both writing and art, or Mm -hmm. uh, creative writing and studio art, and I kind of want to go back to, you know... 17 18 19 year old parent and like what was on your mind at the time and what were your interests and what was it about both the art side and the writing side that was uh that was interesting to you or what kind of um what were you kind of thinking about or interested in
1: yeah um well i wanted to be a writer since i was in maybe second grade and uh, always thought i would grow up and write books and short stories Mm. um and when I got to college, um, I knew I would also study art as well. It's always been something that I, I've done growing up. My my mom is a, uh, an artist and a designer, so that was always part of mm. my life. Um, so, I yeah, I was deeply into writing and literature. I mean, I interned at the Paris Review, for example. I was very, mm. very deep into it. Nice. Uh, but for my art degree, I did um, photography, drawing, painting, and film. Um, mm. And it... It, they, they each feed into the other. I have a, a home office and half of it is dedicated to writing. And the other half is a, a studio space where I, I paint and do other things Oh, nice! all sorts of things that don't see the light of day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I have the same thing. I, I, I was getting drinks with a friend the other night and I was telling him about all these paintings that I have, um, sitting right behind me right now that literally no one has ever seen. Uh, so I
1: get it. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm, we're both going to be famous artists one day. It's just bound to happen. These paintings will leave our private home offices and be on gallery walls in no time.
0: Right, right.
1: Did you, <laughs> That's how did it you
0: wait? So, so, but like seriously, no one will ever see this stuff. Is that did, even when you were in school? Was that a? Uh, let me ask this question in a different way. You said since second grade, you wanted to be a writer. You were always interested in literature. You you kind of grew up in a home that had art and design. Um, you went to school and you did both of these things. Tell me if I'm reading into this, but it still sounds like writing was the thing and art was hobby, fun. You know, did you, you know what I mean? Yeah, what, sure. Were,
1: I mean, Can you talk about that a little more? Yeah, I mean, sometimes if I have an idea, I feel like it's an idea for a story or mm. a poem or a screenplay. And sometimes mm. I have a thing that I want to express and it's definitely a visual thing and I'll do it like that. And I feel like the the art side is more relaxing and fun mm. and the mm-hmm. writing side also, also very fun, but much more <laughs> deliberate. And I'm thinking about it a lot harder Um I mean I still uh, I've, I still haven't given up on my dream of being a, a real professional writer lady one day and it's still something that I do in the background of, of all the day jobs that I've had up until today um, yeah it's a, it's a it's a it's a lifelong thing
0: I want to come back to this idea of you growing up you, you still wanting to be a writer thinking you know that 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 will be be your your job someday instead of you know, all this other stuff. Um, but but you had mentioned earlier that you saw, you know, the painting, the photography, all of that stuff was kind of influencing each other. And can you talk a little bit about the the intersection of the writing side and the art side? And, and look, I don't mean to make them sound like they're two opposite mm-hmm. things that don't go together, but um, I'm interested in this idea that some stuff you think of, and it's, this is a piece of writing or this is something visual how do those start to cross over or talk to each other or does something that starts as a painting or a photograph turn into uh, a poem you know how do those all start to talk to each other
1: Um, I guess I've always been a visual thinker a visual learner Um, if I'm writing a story there are certain uh, visuals that I have in mind for it and 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 certain Feelings I feel as I write it, and mm-hmm. and and sometimes those 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 feelings want to be uh, a painting. Uh, while I take a break from maybe the actual writing of it, sometimes they directly intersect. One of my projects in college was this painting that wrapped around all four walls of a studio at school, and it was very type heavy. Like using type in art has always been really fun for me. And uh, it was a piece that was heavily based on lettering. I mean, I guess it's how they – and, you know, and it told a story. So I guess yeah, that's yeah. – but honestly, as, like, a viewer, I find a painting that has lots of writing and I have to read it, I find that really annoying. So <laughs> yeah. I did that once to kind of scratch that itch. But, like, I don't know. I feel like that's really demanding of a of a, of, of a viewer. I think when I view a painting, I kind of just want to stare at it and be lost, and I don't want to have to read anything and work too hard. <laughs> right,
0: right, right, right. So, I mean, there is, there is some – Uh, like separate both separate goals and separate desires in the consumption of of these two sides also
1: yeah i mean it's just part of being you know any kind of multifaceted person they've got different things that they do someone can be a a business manager but also like be a really good gardener or a cook and Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. just different parts of their brain there's there's lots of stuff that that you're probably into that don't that that doesn't involve design and and writing um and yeah it's all just part of Mm -hmm part
0: of it yeah, yeah yeah and I'm always I'm always interested in how those things that seem like they don't connect how they do end up kind of influencing each other I have a really kind of perhaps stupid and boring question great um but I'm very interested in the that term, you know, that you studied in school, creative writing, and I, I <laughs> still think of myself as kind of a, a fake writer. And you know, I took some <laughs> writing classes in grad school. You're but... a
1: real writer.
0: Well, thank you. You're very nice. Um, I, I I don't have two degrees in in writing, and all, my That's only That's not what
1: matters.
0: <laughs> my but but what the question that I'm I'm asking is: Can you tell me like what those degrees? look like like what do you actually do like is it just yeah. you know you sit around a table and write things and then talk about them with each other
1: yeah for i mean this it's the same kind of um crit session that i i think a design student might experience for for both my undergrad and my my graduate program studying writing means that you are in a class with a bunch of other students and there's an assignment to work on a specific aspect of writing or you have a writing prompt, whatever it is. you go away, you write your thing, you bring it back, the class reads it and you do a crit session and you pay attention to tone and voice and diction and syntax and timing and all these other things the way that in a design crit you would look at form and color and composition and whatever <laughs> uh, and you know you go around the room and everyone does the compliment sandwich thing <laughs> uh, and and then you go back and you revise and then you write something new.
0: And I know I know that your MFA is in was specifically in fiction, right? Mm-hmm. was was the undergrad writing? was that both fiction and nonfiction?
1: Uh, My interest was fiction. But because you're an undergrad, you study nonfiction and poetry. And um, I also studied screenwriting.
0: Okay. Can you talk about the are there differences or similarities or approaches that are different when you are writing fiction versus something nonfiction?
1: For sure. I mean, one, you get to make everything up, which I find infinitely (laughs) more interesting. Um, The things that are similar, the things that I think studying fiction helps when writing nonfiction or doing a reported piece (laughs) or doing a piece of journalism is that you gather the facts and all of your research and you put that all on a page, but really what you're looking for is the in the story the, the scene that you can set at the beginning to get the reader engaged the character that you're looking at uh it's a lot of it's like the way that you know podcasts work now like story different podcasts like this american life or something like that mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. they start you in a specific story and then they expand and then you get into what the thing is about and being a, a fiction writer you're naturally attuned to those things. And I think right. that makes for more engaging journalism, even when you are reporting something out.
0: Because you kind of are learning those, uh, you know, you're thinking about the story just kind of innately from kind of having trained that way. Right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. When I go in to report something, I'm, I'm looking for all the narrative elements. I'm looking for the main characters and the plot and the arc and mm-hmm. the timeline. Mm-hmm. And hopefully as a reader, that's a more interesting way to read about something than than kind of um, person-place thing-based reporting.
0: I've known you, you know, for a couple years now, and and primarily as somebody who writes in and around design. And I was going to ask you kind of where the design interest fits in, but that's already been kind of a thread of what we've been talking about with, with your mom being a designer and this kind of art side uh How did you start writing about design, or kind of get into the the design world, or realize that these kind of two sides could come together for you?
1: uh yeah. I mean, personally, it had always, like you had said, it's always been part of my life. My mom is maybe uh, my best friend, and so her interest in design is has always been formative. She had a letterpress studio when I was younger, and I would always be her studio assistant. Um, oh, nice. So it's been. That's fun. Yeah, so I I learned all about lead type and all that kind of stuff from an early age. But professionally, um, it started when one of my first design jobs was being an editor at the Architects Newspaper, so specifically mm. writing mm-hmm. about architecture. Um, and then I went on to do corporate editorial at Condé Nast, um, and not not my bread, like not the thing that I <laughs> loved so much. But it was a really valuable and interesting experience. But I sort of could not wait to get out of it and get into something different. Um, yeah. And towards the end of that, I had been listening a lot to Debbie Millman's podcast and okay. getting reacquainted with the design heroes that I once loved as a, a kid. And um, remembering that there was another world beyond men's fashion, I was at Detail <laughs> Magazine iconic. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> And, uh, you know,
0: even still a thing. Is that even still around?
1: No. And I I haven't heard
0: that name in a long time.
1: I never shed a tear. Uh, I left before (laughs) it folded, uh, when I found the job at uh, AIGA, but I had started remembering, Oh yeah, there's like a, a, there's, there's a way to publish stories. that doesn't involve, uh, the way that a corporate publisher would think about it. And, and I started, I just, I just was sort of rekindling my, my lost love, of design and uh, was looking for a way to get back into just to be a part of that world. And so as an editor and a writer, the way that you're part of that world is by writing about it. I knew I wasn't going to be a designer. I have no interest in being a designer. I just like to to talk to them and see what they're interested in.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: and so then I came on to AIGA.
0: So when you started at AIGA, was it with the intent of starting a new... I, I don't even know what to call it platform, blog, <laughs> publication, um, or or did you start more in that kind of uh, like communication writing role, and then you know did did the the ion design side kind of come up after the fact?
1: Yeah, definitely the latter. In fact, if you talk to most people who work at Aij, their first job titles are so weird and so different from what they do now. I was talking to our chief of staff yesterday. She's been there for 14 years, uh, Amy Chapman, and her first job title was um, like manager of first impressions. <laughs> basically the job title for working the front okay. desk. Okay. <laughs> uh, so talk about well, a, a lot way to talk.
0: Manager, manager of first impressions? Yeah. <laughs> I love that.
1: (laughs) That's so funny. I've never heard that before. And all the dumb new tech job titles that exist, that one still is now my new favorite.
0: That's a good one.
1: Uh, So, my job title was a lot more basic. It was just managing editor. And I think they wanted me to come in and just like clean up the website, which was not something that I was going to (laughs) be content to just do. But it was the ironic thing is that it was the very first communications job that they had hired for, Mm. um, at least in a long time. Uh, And, you know, AIGA, just for anyone who doesn't know, is the uh, oldest, largest nonprofit organization uh, for professional designers in the United States. Uh, It started in 1914. And it was just ironic to me that an organization for communication designers (laughs) had no communications department and no real mechanism for messaging what it did. Right. Right. So anyways, to cut a long story short, there was a task force, and they told me that AIJ was doing this great job at speaking to older and more established designers, the kind of legends, but not so much design students or early career designers, and what did I think could be done to reach them. And I did the only thing really that my professional experience had prepared me for so far, and that was to start a blog, which is still a word that I hate, but what are you going to do? So, uh, I started Iron Design a couple months later uh, in late 2014, so five years ago. And it started as a small blog and slowly grew over the past few years. We were able to bring in other people besides me, writers and editors. And I was eventually uh, able to make it my full-time focus at AIGA. It was was sort of my my side thing until then, Mm. Um, although I was definitely working on it at at all hours. It was my main hustle and my side hustle for a long time because for as many people who liked it, it rubbed many other people the wrong way, which is frankly something I've always been fine with, but I wanted to make sure that if we got criticism, it was for The content we put out and not because there was anything sloppy or unprofessional about it
0: i want to talk about i I would actually like to talk about that more um in a bit but i have two other questions before we get into that um and and one of the questions was about that that word blog actually because when i was kind of looking back over old uh old pieces on the site and even um you know, the way people talked about ion design a couple years ago, they referred to it as a blog and I had never really thought about it as, as a blog. Um, Can you talk about how, you know, the difference between something that is kind of more blog format and that evolution into something that is a full fledged publication, that kind of process?
1: Yeah, I think, I think blog is a totally fair term for what it originally was and it also, it, it continues to have a very popular Instagram account. And that was also one of its main presences early on. And so a lot of people thought, Mm. oh, it's just a cute Instagram. And I, I think some people think it is still just that, which is sad, but (laughs) what are you going to do? But, you know, stuff that's bloggy in nature is maybe unreported, maybe personal, maybe more Mm. opinion-based and not an op-ed, but just a, a hot take on something that's, I think the misconception is sometimes that something that's a blog is uh, written more quickly, uh, which can be the case. It's not maybe as you know. If you're thinking about a proper journalistic outlet, you've got long-term goals. You have ongoing stories that you want to tell across a category, not just mm-hmm. what's what's new this week. What can I pump out really quick? What's a press release right, that I can turn right. around and spit out? You're thinking about more not just long form but i mean for an example now we've expanded our coverage to things like design and diversity design and sexuality Mm -hmm. mental health education Mm -hmm. politics money business a couple other things and so when we think about the stories that we want to tell in those categories we're not thinking from story to story we're thinking across the span of a few years and thinking about well diversity is a main focus and what are things of concern now? What are we anticipating is going to be of concern in six months, in a in a year, and what's the kind of arc that we want to show over the course of that time?
0: I don't mean I don't mean for you to kind of like go back and, uh, yeah, retrospectively tell this history or, um, you know, kind of, uh, connect the dots. But I'm interested in in that expansion and, you know, basically what came first? Was it that Instagram presence gained popularity? You're getting traffic to the site. It was like, now we can hire more writers. This was kind of growing. Or was there always an ambition that this was going to be more than a blog? You know, Whether it was you or AIGA, um, you know, as an organization saying, there's more to this. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Well, I always wanted it to be more than what it first started as. I wasn't sure okay. how it would grow. I mean, AIGA, the way that it's set up, Was an organization that totally confounded me when i joined (laughs) and i and that's not a criticism of aij it's a it's a comment on my my lack of experience before that i had only worked in editorial platforms at magazines on websites so to go from someplace where the primary output wasn't um something editorial uh where it wasn't fast-paced where you know you go to AIGA and a lot of other companies like this where it's a lot of people working slow and steady on programs and i mm-hmm. was like what is a program what is what is that like i was so <laughs> used to thinking like we have issue we have magazine issues we have articles that go up on a site and everything else supports that and now everything was flipped the uh, the website anything that was communications based was supporting the projects and the programs and the events. And it like took some rewiring of my brain to figure out how I right. was going to operate and 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 how this would live in that in that world. Uh, I I didn't know that it would turn into doing events, that it would become so much bigger. Um, I didn't have aspirations that it would become I think to cover more serious topics. I didn't have that aspiration yeah. at first. I thought it would be more about Um, individual designers and creativity but that that got boring and small really really (laughs) fast and the editors and writers that i had were the ones who were pushing me to tell more important global stories that were broader and i think that has now become our strength to look at places where design intersects with the other issues that all of us care about
0: i mean i i think you're exactly right and i think um it's interesting to kind of hear this origin story um and even you know you're talking about some people thinking that it's just this kind of cute instagram account is i think very quietly you have somehow turned ion design into the graphic design especially but we could even use design more broadly the publication where these topics are being talked about and I I don't know if there are even any others embarrassed for me to say that publicly um, <laughs> that are kind of t- tackling these things and and you know all the 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 old design printed magazines have basically closed down a lot of the blogs from the first wave of blogging are you know dead or dying or or you know, kind of chugging along slowly, and and you've kind of created this new thing um, that's feels both modern and fun and serious and worldly.
1: Thanks. Appreciate <laughs> it. A question
0: other than <laughs> other than a compliment, I I'll guess. take it. Um, I mean, I talked I talked to Rick Pointer, who who just you know went on and on with praise.
1: Uh, oh my god! For the- made me blush from ear to ear. He so he happy. loves
0: what you're doing. Um but I think you know, I think the the like cute Instagram uh, facade, I guess, is and, and I kinda wanna lead into to what you're talking about of like the controversy or the criticism and, and hear about your side of that. But what's interesting to me is I think the for lack of a better word, cuteness of the site actually sometimes hides the serious reporting um and Mm -hmm. the kind of serious topics that you're you're talking about and i think um i was always surprised because admittedly i had discounted eye on design for a long time thinking that it was we're featuring all the famous designers that you've heard about already Mm -hmm. we have this like you know pink background with these eyes that are blinking everywhere nothing against the design but it gave a vibe that was like this isn't really the kind of writing that i'm into Mm -hmm. um but it, that's not true. There's actually a lot of great, right? It's like, you know, where I get most of my kind of design writing. Um, how do you think about that? How do you think about the, both the balance of that kind of fun, light visual with the serious topics, but then also the range of topics? Because you still do have those kind of fun, satirical, funny, um, little bit sarcastic uh, pieces. And all of that can kind of sit together. How do you think about housing all of that?
1: Yeah. Um, well, from the start, we definitely wanted to differentiate ourselves from what was out mm-hmm. there, and what was out there was was mostly um, academic design mm-hmm. writing that felt very insidery and exclusive, and or was was written in a, a language that or a, a tone of voice that was maybe not accessible to a younger audience and Mm -hmm. especially an increasingly uh, non-English as a first language speaking audience as Mm -hmm. our community becomes more and more global. And it Mm -hmm. felt some of that writing was, I mean, very important and and groundbreaking at the time. And it started to feel a little elitist. So we wanted to Mm. distinguish ourselves there. Also, the pink color was was mainly because when I was a kid, the most attractive thing on the newsstand to me was the Financial Times just because it. <laughs> yeah. And I remember buying it once at an airport when I was 12, thinking this is going to be a really fun kids thing. And it was the Financial Times. And I was so disappointed, but I really made an effort to read it anyway because, amazing. because I thought, okay, it's on pink. There's got to be a sense of humor there. And, you know, there wasn't. Right. But I don't think that um, – Serious writing means that you can't also have fun. Uh, you know, a person isn't all serious all the time or all, you know, silly all the time. And s- certainly for me, I, uh, I have serious ambitions for the site, but um, I, I'm, I have a, a sense of humor. I did my, my thesis in grad school on satire. I think mm. satirical writing is often more poignant than s- straight up journalism. And if you're a regular reader of a site, yeah, there, you want a certain telling consistency, but I think it's nice to be surprised and, uh, it's it's nice to have a break and, and have something that's lighter, or maybe it's just about a a cool project and maybe you learn some new insights there, or maybe it's a story that we've written purely on a lark.
0: Mm -hmm. And I don't mean, yeah, I don't mean to say, you know, I hope that didn't come across as a, uh, your site is poorly designed. It doesn't match.
1: <laughs> no, uh, it's okay. Uh, I have heard all of the criticism about the site. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, I, I had
0: kind of assumed or wondered if there was some strategy in almost, um, I don't want to say tricking the reader, but, you know, uh, catching them with something fun and visual and light, and then they stick around and find the serious stuff. You know, it's an easier way in that way than that kind of other writing. And it's complete completely different than basically anything else AIGA had put out at the time too. And so it was this nice kind of new entry point perhaps.
1: Yeah, that differentiation was important too, to make it seem like a, a fresh new thing from the organization. Certainly wasn't trying to trick anyone. I think either right. I wasn't it's not the right word, but <laughs> I know I know what you mean. I wasn't trying to lure them in with the potential of of sweet candy stories, and then be like, right. "Gotcha! You're going to get a serious piece that's fully reported with data analytics," uh, <laughs> but more to show that um, that I don't know that it's not one one thing or another, um, I really just wanted it to, to look fresh and interesting, uh, for the designers that we were looking to speak to, uh, mostly designers who are under 35, something Mm -hmm. different than they'd seen before, something that didn't look like, you know, a typical black on white website. Uh, -hmm. there were no ads. There was a lot of open space and there were, you know, there's fun Easter eggs on the site, which designers really like to, to, to find. Um, yeah I, yeah, I I, I find I, the
0: floating eyes kind of annoying, just oh, to be honest.
1: I know. So many people hate them. I love them. They're not going anywhere. I love when you leave it up for a while. It just covers an eyes. People hate that. I know. It's that's <laughs> my
0: least favorite part of the site. I just have to tell you. <laughs> <Too bad. laughs> um, but how let me let me ask you this question this way. Okay. Um thinking about all this, you know, thinking about this the site as this. You know, almost person with all of these different personalities, and it can be funny and serious and thoughtful and light. Do you have a uh, editorial framework or a point of view, or could you define or describe what makes an Ion Design story an Ion Design story?
1: Yeah, definitely. We are looking at stories that are specifically. At that intersection between design and something broader whether it's design mm. and politics and business and education or whatever it is mm-hmm. and we're looking to use any story as a or any project or issue as a jumping off point to tell something that's also more broad so we wouldn't necessarily you know write about a specific project or a campaign or like a logo unless there was a broader bigger story to be told mm. there uh, whether it's about something light like a trend or a new technological innovation, or whether it's something bigger like, you know, its impact on gender representation in the industry, we mm-hmm. we definitely want to treat designers as people who have interests and opinions and expertise well beyond the scope of their everyday work, and to tap into that and see how they think about those things and how they they come at those things from their very specific point of view. I think our editors and writers find a designer's point of view on the world very interesting and Mm. uniquely suited to thinking about it in a creative and a strategic way, and that maybe other kinds of professions aren't so much. I think the way that a designer would think about a larger social issue is different than the way a business manager or a musician or a Mm -hmm. chef would and Mm -hmm. it's that point of view and those insights that we're really interested in in uncovering and so that means that we are often in touch with lots of designers and companies not to get a specific story out of that one conversation or interaction but just to see what are you working on what are you thinking about and what do you think about this and what do you think about this Mm -hmm. and just to Mm -hmm. just that we don't treat design work, new design work, new design projects as these isolated incidents that don't add up to anything bigger about the industry. I think that's treating design work in piecemeal and not Mm -hmm. connecting it to the larger whole is one of the things that I think, and we've talked about this before, that holds back design, the design industry from becoming a bigger player. And it has to do with the way that design writing um, specifically is often either narrow or it's academic, but it's, it's usually really, it's usually really niche. And I don't yeah. think it's, it's serving anyone, but beyond that really niche audience. And you can't grow when you do that.
0: I, I have like a, a the, the flip side of, of that question now, because now you're making me think about that niche Uh the uh, this is also something that that you and I have talked about before but just the smallness of the design profession uh, and I'm curious how you think about being critical uh, and maintaining some sort of uh, journalistic independence and calling out things when they need to be called out and that this isn't just Uh, Like you mentioned earlier, when when you're talking about blogging, this isn't just a PR machine. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you do that? (laughs) I guess is the question.
1: Um, One of the biggest things that we do when we see something that we're critical of is just to not cover it. And I Mm. think our absence of coverage when maybe every other site is covering it is speaks to Uh, that sometimes and sometimes we don't cover something not because we're critical of it because we're small we don't have the time but if it's a really big thing and we're not talking about it it may be because it's not it's not what i'll say is it's not helpful to be critical if you're just doing a takedown i don't think that critique is useful if it doesn't offer some kind of takeaway or some kind of insight that another designer could take and think about, if it's just pointing out the the flaws of something, that's not helpful to the designer or to the industry, in my opinion. And when we do find that something is worthy of critique and we can write about it in a way that shows that so that other designers maybe don't repeat that mistake or can learn from it, then we don't hesitate to, and that means that sometimes we burn bridges, and we're willing to <laughs> we're, we're willing to do that if we feel strongly about something. Um, right. The other way that we express our criticism of the industry or of s- specific uh, projects or whatever is by our new focus on original reporting, and um, mm. and so today we released a three month or four month long survey that we did on gender representation at design conferences. So for that's that's an example. Uh, We could be critical and just say, there's not enough representation at design conferences. Here's some reporting that we did. We go beyond that to do a really, really deep dive um, into the numbers to pull them together. These aren't numbers that other people are collecting. We speak to many of the conference organizers to see where they might've gone wrong or where what advice they might have if they if they do have really good representation that other mm-hmm. event organizers mm-hmm. or schools or organizations that are looking to increase the representation can take. So I guess that's maybe more of our form of criticism.
0: So a couple of years ago, you started a print publication, yes, uh, or or a kind of a, a printed uh, component to this, and I'm I'm, I'm curious wh- why start a print magazine and what was it 2018 um and how is that different or how does that kind of sit beside what is happening online Mm
1: -hmm. the daily weekly clip of publishing stories on the site means that you don't often get to stop and think more broadly or more long term maybe and Mm. um starting a magazine first we're in the design world. We are editors. We love <laughs> magazines. We, our audience loves magazines, love printed things. And we're really excited by the way that a physical bound paper format would lend itself to a different kind of writing. And, and that means often longer form writing uh, more flexibility with visuals Um Mm. what we can do than what you can see on a, on a computer screen. The opportunity to work with a different graphic designer for each issue to see how they might interpret a mm. theme. All of our issues are themed, for example. Mm-hmm. And taking a theme and then seeing how deep we can go there in the graphic design world. That's not something that we can really do on the website uh, in, a, in a concerted way. And so it was as much a creative exercise as it was an intellectual one right. for us. Yeah, And also... I think it was. It was also just, we we launched the pilot the same time that we launched our Eye Design Conference, and it was really a time when we stopped and said, "We're not just a cute Instagram handle. We're not just a cute pink blog. We have things to say. We are smart people, and you should listen to us." And so we're doing. We did a one day conference in Minneapolis uh, with along with the AIGA Bigger Design Conference, and we launched a pilot magazine that that day just to test out the appetite for it. And then in January of 2018, we launched our first official issue. And it really has become our, our calling card to show that we, mm. you know, this, mm-hmm. this pink blog that you, have, you may have discounted, there's there's actual thinking done here and here and right. here it is in your hands. And uh, it's been, you know, to look at it purely as a branding exercise would be to undercut it. But uh, as far as that's gone, it's been very successful. It's become our calling card.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So what's what's next then? Are there other... You're you're doing the website. You're doing the printed magazine. You're doing events and conferences. Are there other avenues that ION Design could go into or that you want to take it into or that it is kind of, you know, you and your team are kind of thinking about moving to? What's Where's this go next?
1: So there's two major things that we're doing this year that I'm really excited about. On the print side, we we espouse experimental design and design at the fringes. And so we are getting a little bit more experimental with our print offerings. We'll be Mm -hmm. doing one larger annual issue towards the end of the year and then um, creating a couple experimental fun zine projects throughout the year that I'm really excited about. Um, And then the other thing that we're doing, which ties back into the kind of design journalism as advocacy Uh, route that we've been taking more of these past Mm -hmm. two years is that we're launching something called the Design Collective, which is a Mm -hmm. one-stop shop for early career creative professionals. So designers, illustrators, art directors, um, anyone working in the visual world, really, where they can go to get practical tips and advice and resources for all the non-creative parts of their work life, meaning things like how do I set my rates? How do I negotiate those rates? How can I protect my work or my IP? Uh, Tax season is coming up. Help. Um, How do I get my work in front of that art director that I love? And if I do, how do I approach them? Basically everything that you need to know to take your career to the next level. Um, We've done some events around this the past couple years and have found that most designers of all levels, have the same pain points when it comes to running their creative practice, whether they're freelancers or run a small studio or work in-house or at an agency. And there are some resources out there. Uh, Some of them are dated or maybe they're written in a way that basically requires a translator. And so we want to make that necessary information easy and maybe even fun for people to have access to and understand. Um, So that's something that, I mean, I guess when you're reporting, on the design world, sometimes reporting on an issue is enough, and we've done a lot of reporting on labor rights and workplace rights. And then sometimes not enough is getting done about it, and so we feel like we like we have to mm. do something. Right, we get really right. annoyed, and then we we say, "Okay, we're going to do something about it." <laughs> and then we have, and then we and then we have to follow through. So we're launching this um, in March. It'll be free to AIGA members and available for a very affordable low monthly fee for non-members and it'll expand over Mm. the course of the year to include things like a community board and private access to an online database and you know access to design accountants and design lawyers and the people that the people that you you need to talk to when you have the least amount of time to figure out how to get access to them we hope that this is a place where people can go and get support
0: yeah i love that that's such a great idea and it's interesting so it's uh, I don't mean to turn this into a pitch for the iron design collective, but so it, it will be an AIGA benefit if you are a member, but then you could also just subscribe to the, you could just become a member or, you know, pay a monthly fee to the collective. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so interesting. Um, it it kind of relates to my next question. I have kind of two questions to to wrap up and, you mentioned very early on in this conversation that you still have this dream that you will be a writer, and not all of these other jobs. And it strikes me that so much of your job now is is somewhat uh, business focused. I imagined and kind of strategy and thinking about all of these things. Um, how do how do you kind of think about or find that uh, that balance or intersection between uh, just doing the writing, being the writer doing the kind of writing work that you want to do with all of this other stuff that you're doing. How do those how do you kind of think about how those two sit next to each other?
1: Man, you've just you've just asked the question that I've been asking myself for the last couple <laughs> months.
0: I'm <laughs> no. asking you what I think about all the time that too.
1: Um, well, when my job started becoming more and more business related, at first I was real like putting on the brakes, like, oh my <laughs> God, this is this is going to be all business. There's not going to be anything creative about yeah. it. Yeah. And I was a little hesitant to to get into it. But now that I am into it, what I've realized is that I still get to work with the same amazing team of people doing the same projects. I may not be writing the articles, but I'm running the department that writes that allows the writing of the articles to happen and what it does that is this magical thing is that during the day a certain side of my brain is flexed which leaves the creative part of my brain totally unused by the end of the day Mm. and fresh and ready to write or paint or do whatever else whereas before i was using all of my creative energy on writing design stories and had nothing left for myself so it's actually ended up striking a really sort of healthy balance for my own practice
0: Oh, see, that's interesting. You're you're a stronger person than I am because <laughs> I I spend my days doing that administrative work, and then by the end of the day, I'm like, I just kind of want to watch TV and put on another movie. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, wanna...
1: I, mean I do that too. It's so not like I'm I'm working till midnight every night in my painting studio, painting a masterpiece. <laughs> but uh, I I find at the end of the day, I'm I'm tired of one kind of work and ready right. for another yes. kind of work.
0: Yeah. Can you say anything about that other kind of work? Are you writing anything uh, fun for yourself?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm always writing lots of short stories that um, I occasionally send out to lit journals and stuff. But the Mm. bigger project that I'm working on is a book about the feature film that my husband directed last year called The Sound of Silence. And um, it will be a very deep dive into the world of the characters of the film as well as the making of the film. And I think will be a very beautiful design object as well.
0: So, so it will be a book about the movie, not a book based on the
1: movie. Right, 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 right. right. So, so, so the first part is about the world of sound that the character lives Mm -hmm. in, uh, the background Mm -hmm. of sound and, uh, how, how sound is this like, uh, invisible force in our lives that a lot of us don't realize the impact of, and then the second part, the larger part of the book, is the making of story.
0: Oh, interesting! That's so interesting. It really—it's like a, a beautifully shot movie. For a movie that's all about sound, uh, the visuals are stunning in it. Just by the way,
1: <laughs> thanks. I will tell my husband. And for anyone listening, you can go to Hulu and stream it now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> um, I have one more question. My last question is the question that I use to to wrap up all of these conversations. And you said very early on that you, from a young age, wanted to be a writer and was always interested in literature. And so we spent a lot of time talking about writing. I'm kind of curious about the reading side. Um, mm. What are you reading right now? Are you reading anything interesting that you're really enjoying?
1: Yeah. Um, I Let's see. I just finished two books. I finished the Beastie Boys biography <laughs> oh nice is it good <laughs> yeah it's great I <laughs> I was a really big Beastie fan in high school and even for the talent show wow two friends performed as the Beastie Boys so that's a secret oh nerdy bit of my past that I won't say any more about and I also just finished we're
0: revealing a lot of secrets <laughs> on this podcast today
1: the worst part about the performance was that right as we were about to go on the sound cut out in the auditorium so we had to, <laughs> we had to scream the wrap. It was awful, awful, awful. Oh but my. so much fun. Um, I also just finished reading Jenny Slate's new book, Little Weirds, which I really enjoyed. Mm. Um, and then I've got—I mean, I always—I have like a stack of eight novels by my bedside. So, yeah,
0: yeah, short story too.
1: collections. I just finished Joyce Carol Oates' Masterclass um, mm. on Masterclass, and so I've been reading some of her stuff and some Flannery O'Connor and like original. Uh, stuff that any writing student would have read a million times in their writing class just revisiting some of those old old masters
0: this was such a great conversation i feel like we've been trying to do this forever
1: yeah Um, (laughs) and i'm
0: so glad that we got to do it um i love your work ion design is my favorite cute pink blog Um, (laughs) thanks jared thank you thank you so much for being on the podcast this was so fun thanks jared This episode was recorded on January 16th, 2020. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.